Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, everybody loves the charming story that is our first reading for this week. The story of the call of young Samuel. You know the story well. The child who hears the voice of the Lord but doesn't fully understand. The master, Eli, who patiently coaches him in the way of the Lord. This awakening of prophecy in Israel after a long period of dormancy. It's a beautiful, charming story. I remember when I was going through the seminary, it was often told in connection with spiritual direction and discernment of vocation and so on. But you know what? Once we know the backstory of this little tale, things get a little more (laughs) complicated a little less romantic. And this story, I think you'll agree with me, becomes surprisingly relevant to our times. What's the backstory? Well, Eli was the chief priest at the temple at Shiloh. Mind you, this was before the Jerusalem temple was built under Solomon, who was David's son. So we're at an earlier version of the temple in Shiloh. Eli is supervising the work of his two sons, Phineas and Hophni. Now, Eli was, according to the Bible, a relatively devout man, but he was lazy and unfocused. And he was an especially bad supervisor of his two sons. We hear now in the first book of Samuel that Hophni and Phineas were corrupt. They were abusing their priesthood and taking advantage of the people they were meant to serve. They were lording it over them, as people in in positions of power often do. And Eli was indifferent to them. He didn't discipline them. In this story, we might miss these details, but I don't think uh, first century Jews or biblical Jews would have missed it. There are all kinds of signs that all is not well in this temple at Shiloh. Just before our story, it says this, During the time that Samuel was serving in the temple, a revelation of the Lord was uncommon. Hmm. Why is that? Why would a revelation of the Lord be uncommon? Was the Lord perhaps chastising his people, distancing himself from them? Or, perhaps, were they in their spiritual laziness and corruption inattentive to God's revelation? I don't know. Either way, it can be a sign of a problem. Furthermore, we hear this. Samuel was asleep in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Well, okay, at the level of the narrative, it's just telling us the kid happened to be asleep. But if we read this story now with more spiritual eyes, that's also a sign of trouble. Being asleep in the presence of the Lord is never spiritually a good sign. Remember 
Jesus, the night before he died, is there in the Garden of Gethsemane praying intensely, and his three most beloved disciples fall asleep. Could you not stay awake one hour with me, Jesus says? See, attentiveness, wide awakeness, having your eyes open to the ways of the Lord, that's a positive thing. So Samuel is asleep. The revelation of the Lord is uncommon. Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, are abusing the people. Eli, their supervisor, is lazy and unfocused. That's the backstory to our little tale. So finally, when Samuel understands that it's the Lord who's speaking to him, he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What does Yahweh actually say? And see, friends, I find this sort of fascinating. <laughs> Our lectionary story always ends there. So it ends on this kind of nice, upbeat moment when young Samuel understands, oh, it is God speaking to me, and now I'm ready to listen. But then we don't hear in the lectionary <laughs> what God actually says. Open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and you'll find out what God says. Listen. I am about to do something in Israel that will cause the ears of everyone who hears it to ring. On that day, I will carry out in full against Eli everything I threatened against his family. Though he knew his sons were blaspheming God, he did not reprove them. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty harsh stuff. That's the message that little Samuel hears. After a long period of God not revealing himself, That's the message he gets. I am coming to visit punishment upon Eli and his sons. What do we hear now in the next chapter? That Hophni and Phinehas are killed in battle. And Eli, upon hearing the news, falls over backward in shock and dies of a broken neck. Huh, the terrible word spoken to Samuel about Eli and his sons has come true. It was fulfilled. Hmm, that's the story. How would we sum it up? Well, we have priests who are abusing their office and causing suffering among their people. We have a supervisor of priests who, in his laziness and irresponsibility, does nothing to stop them. And this misbehavior is making the whole spiritual life of Israel sick. And finally, the perpetrators are delivered into the hands of their enemies. Hmm. Does any of that little story sound familiar to you? Over the past few decades, we've had priests, not all, please don't misunderstand me, not all, not most, but too many, who have been abusing their office and deeply harming the people of God. You know what I'm talking about. We've had their supervisors, bishops. Episkopos in Greek just means supervisor, someone that oversees, episcopane. We've had bishops. Again, not all, not most, don't misunderstand me, but too many who were derelict in their responsibility and did not stop the abuse. And from this situation, the church became deeply sick. 
those directly affected were, in many cases, completely alienated from the church, and they no longer heard the voice of the Lord. I suppose that many thought the Lord was absent, or at least silent. And then what happened in the wake of this? Oh, go back now, friends, to the year 2002. Terrible year in the life of the church. The Boston Globe began to run stories about the sex abuse scandal. It grew and it grew. This was carried all over the country. More and more, this sickness in the life of the church was revealed. People say, oh, the Boston Globe and the Washington Post and many other papers and lawyers were the enemies of the church. Well, yeah, of course they were. What did God do? He delivered us into the hands of our enemies. It's exactly what happened to Hophni and to Phinehas and to Eli. It was the Philistines who engaged Israel in battle and killed those wicked priests. In the biblical imagination, God often uses the enemies of his people to do his will. Why are we surprised now that during times of corruption in the church, God sometimes uses the enemies of the church to do his will? I think this biblical story provides a very interesting pattern to understand our own time. Do we despair? Uh Uh-uh. No, no. Professor of mine years ago said, if you read the Bible and you end up feeling desperate, you've misread it. The biblical news is always good news, even when there's a lot of, of harsh stuff being said. Why would God do this? To chasten, to punish, yes, to cleanse. Is God a distant, aloof power? No, no. God is intimately, personally involved in the life of his church, in the formation of his people. When things get off kilter, when corruption sets in in different ways, God is not aloof and distant, though he might seem that way to our superficial perception. No, no. God acts. Sometimes using, yes, the enemies of the church to do his will. But his will is always ultimately a cleansing will. And I think, friends, that's exactly what's going on now in the life of the church. We're being cleansed and purified, as Israel was cleansed and purified during the time of Samuel. More to it, who was the recipient of this terrible word concerning Eli and his sons? This little child, Samuel. Remember his backstory? His mother, Hannah, was unable to conceive. And she went to that temple in Shiloh. She wept and she prayed. One time she was praying so passionately that Eli, the priest, came and said, Woman, you're drunk. You shouldn't be desecrating the temple. Hannah said, No, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm praying with passion that I might have a son. The Bible says that God heard her prayer, and she gave birth to this son, Samuel. And when the child was weaned, she brought him to the temple and gave him to the Lord. Ah, extraordinary. 
Can you imagine the heartbreak that involved? Hannah had prayed with all her heart for this child, and then God, in his grace, gave him to her. And then she gave him back. Was all this ingredient in God's plan? Yes, in the biblical imagination. Because this little child would now grow up to become one of the great prophets of Israel. He grew up to become someone who would contribute mightily to the cleansing of the nation after this time of corruption. God never abandons his people. He's always fathering his people, but often in ways that we cannot clearly see. Friends, here's my question as we still reel from the sex abuse scandals. We, we still feel the terrible onus and burden and weight of it. Here's the theological question. Here's the spiritual question. Whom is God speaking to even now? Who is the Samuel even now being raised up? Who will speak in that prophetic voice, will act so as to cleanse the church? Who is being spoken to right now? Maybe in ways that he or she doesn't fully understand. Who is the saint being raised up even now? to deal with this time of corruption in the church. That's what we should be attentive to. My hope is that out of this crisis, which the Bible illuminates so well for us, that out of this crisis, a whole army of Samuels might arise. That God might raise up, as the preface of the Mass says, women and men outstanding in holiness who will bring the church back to herself. Yes, God punishes and chastises, sometimes even by using the enemies of the church. So it goes. But God's chastisement is always in service of the cleansing of his people. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.